Hello everyone and welcome to the Beehive Jive. This is a beekeeping podcast from Southeast England hosted by two beekeeping friends Paul and Tracy. This is our 10th episode. So much for Pod Fade. I've been waiting to say that. <laughs> you keep saying it at the wrong time. <laughs> I know, but I've said it at the right time, haven't I? You just told me I could say it. Um, and this evening we are here um, sitting by a log fire <laughs> with Liz Nee, who is the education officer for Epsom Beekeeping Association um, here in the southeast. Liz, thank you very much for coming on our podcast. That's fine. That's good. It's a really interesting thing to get involved in, I think. Yeah. Um, very, Excellent. very keen to uh, go back and listen to more of your podcasts. Oh, good. You should. They're fantastic. <laughs> I've heard all of them. I will. You want to get to I the will. one where um, you find out how Tracy deals with dead bees, oh. dead queens. It's uh, brilliant. Okay. I, I put them under flowers as a oh. last farewell. I don't do that anymore, though, after the, <laughs> Not the tweets. I a natural got. burial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like um, so, Liz, how are your bees? Yeah, they seem to be good. We've treated them with oxalic acid um, sublimation against Varroa. Uh, I had a mouse that had moved in to one of the oh. hives <laughs> and had set up a really nice little nest on the bo- at the bottom super where the bees have moved up out of it. Um, but I think it was only coming in at night time because right. we did the sublimation. And I think if it had been in there, it probably would have... That would died. have finished well. It, it wouldn't have been very happy. Mm. It certainly wasn't in there at the time. So, did mm. you not put uh, mouse guards on it? Uh, or just made its way well, through? Well, the the um, entrance block I had, I forgot, had a little gap at the end, uh, and I think it went in there. Yeah. I've not had problems before on the allotments. They're down on the allotments, but obviously for this year, yeah, it decided. But it made a fantastic little nest in there. Yeah. I'd have loved to have seen it dragging all the, you know, the oak leaves and straw, all sorts well, of kind things. Of sweet, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Except well, it's a mouse. Yeah, <laughs> and it shouldn't be there. That can kill your colony. I went and picked my uh, polynukes up from my apron, the empty ones, and there's one mouse has made its way into the polynuke by not going through the entrance, just by eating its way oh, through. Oh, by gnawing, yeah. So annoying. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to get that mouse. <laughs> so how many colonies you, do you keep now, Liz? Uh, personally, I've got four at the moment. Mm. Um, and then on our allotment site, I work with another beekeeper, uh, another two beekeepers. And so we've got a total of about 11 or 12 mm. actually on the site. And we help each other. Excellent. Excellent. Um, uh, Paul, what about your girls? How are they? They're asleep. Well, it, well they, <laughs> right. I'll tell you what, they weren't yesterday. They were out no, yesterday they lunchtime. Out. Yeah. No, they're out. They're, uh, yeah, so they're asleep. I treat them all with uh, my, my birthday present. Mm. So I got myself one of those oxalic. Oh, the sublimators. The bee guns, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's great. <laughs> What's it called? Sublimox, sublimac. I don't know. A vaporizer. I yeah. that, that was my birthday present. Everyone gave me money and that paid for it. It's a nice thing. I I borrow. have been borrowing it. It works um, well. It's it's really good. It's really good. But obviously, um, super fast. The key. It's super fast. It's so efficient. But obviously, you are in the vapor. So it's um, you have to have a mask. You've got to have oh, right. the, the complete facial mask. Yeah. Um, I I really underestimated actually how much vapor actually comes out of things like polynukes. Because obviously you can't like seal the, the floors. 
Um, oh, yeah, and if I you think about, about it, that. when you do the yeah. um, the plate, yeah. the one, um, you can you walk away and let it do its thing. Whereas with this, you're you're holding it. Yeah. And the vapor oh. just so the varox you, you put in the floor, didn't you? Didn't yeah. You put so it's yeah. we we use the that one, but a homemade version. Yeah. One right. of our beekeepers makes them basically. Cool. So yeah, you just but you put a towel around it, don't you? To keep yeah. The vapor yeah. Well, in. we we use foam. Yeah. Yeah. And then you turn it on and sort of stand yeah. back. Whereas yeah. So then you shouldn't have any vapor coming out or mm. yeah. Supplemox. Once you uh, turn it on and put the oxalate in, it just it just produces a massive cloud of gas. So <laughs> like if, so you put the Varroa tray in, yeah. obviously, and it you're holding it in the entrance of the hive and it it starts coming back out through the entrance. With with like Don't you block the entrance with foam though? You you, you can actually yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean I've got mine on the tiny, tiny little entrances. And see I did this yesterday. I mean it's way late to be doing it now i know i know but i kind of think better late than never hopefully um yeah so i i had tiny entrances all the bees were flying i couldn't be stuffing stuff in it just didn't work at that point but um yeah i would say they're absolutely brilliant it but the only thing is the vapor it's dangerous and the the first time i did it i (laughs) so funny how your brain works i breathed in a little of the vapor and i thought oh, that'll be fine. I just won't take deep breaths and it'll go away. And, of course, I was like, ah. Yeah, it's not my stuff. Choking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You dropped the, sorry, dropped your birthday present on the ground no. and ran away. Oh, that's why it's bent. <laughs> um, so that, that full face mask that mm. it came with, with the uh, organic acid filters, specifically designed to stop you breathing it in. Didn't you have it on? No, well, I, You yeah. did after that. It's a bit big for my head, but anyway, no, it's. <laughs> had good use now it's had good use yeah how not to do this this is not health and safety yeah. <laughs> at all is it no but we've yeah. got it to, i mean luckily mm. um, uh, uh, the guy that comes and helps us do it he, he's got it down to a fine art now so uh we, you know, good works very well mm. but they were all out flying yesterday mm. i mean it was 12 I think, degrees yeah, yeah. I, in my apiary, I think it was nine. Um, and they were just out in force and i mean obviously it's great to see every colony yeah, flying moving. yeah it, you know it, it's right. you know it's it's the most encouraging sign we can expect at yeah. this point i suppose um but yeah i'm i'm i've had to do this oxalic acid very urgently because i have a couple of colonies with quite high yeah. varroa loads um and actually one of the reasons we asked liz to um to talk to us tonight is because um Liz came to I, – I heard Liz give a talk on hygienic bee behaviour, um, which is a really fascinating subject because I think people think they can buy hygienic queens. So how, like, how, does, that, you how can. does that work? Yeah, um, Professor Ratnicks and his team down at Lassie University mm. have been doing a lot of work recently where – um, they've been breeding lines of bees that are uh, fully hygienic and you can buy um, different grades, for want of a better word, of queen, depending on how much you want to pay. So you can either buy um, uh, a fully 
hygienic queen with a proven track record uh, where you'll be paying quite a lot more money than, say, one of the virgins from um, the colony where you take that virgin away, put it in your colony and get it mated and, mm. and somewhere in between. But, uh, yeah, they have got the, the hygienic genes in them. Mm. And so hygienic meaning... Hygienic meaning that they have got increased um, grooming, increased uh, detection of disease within the colony, mm. under the particularly under the capping of the um, the cell of the developing bee, which means that they have got a much higher um, predisposition to actually get rid of disease quickly mm. and lower that threshold. Be it varroa, uh, AFB wax moth, eggs and larva yeah. and small hive beetle. Which is really interesting because I think a lot of us have heard of it in relation to Varroa. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, yeah, it relating to other Yeah, other diseases as well. Well, there's, yeah. there's, there's two sort of hygienic behaviours. There's the, there's the hygienic bee behaviour, which Professor Ratnex has been working on, where it's, it's a more generalised thing. So although... Um, it's uh, they can target uh, larva infested with varroa. They're also targeting things like AFB um, and the small hive beetle and wax moth. There's varroa sensitive um, hygiene where the bees are um, predominantly targeting the varroa. Mm. And there's a subtle difference in the behavior because they think that the varroa sensitive uh, hygienic behaviour not only lowers um, the mites out of the colony, but it also reduces the fertility of the varroa. So the two oh, behaviours are very slightly different, yeah. Right. And that's how they're different. That okay. The varroa-sensitive hygiene also seems to have an effect on the fertility of the varroa. And do they know how? No, at the moment mm. they don't. No, that mechanism, mechanism isn't proven. So... Oh, sorry. So how long have they been breeding those? How long has that program been? Well, breeding? the Varroa sensitive hygiene is an American um, experiment that's been running all oh, for a number of years now. I think it's the Baton Rouge Laboratories. That, um, yeah, I think I heard of that at yeah, the Honey Show. Yeah, yeah, and it's an American um, okay. piece of uh, of work, um, and it is specifically looking at bees and varroa and how they tackle them whereas hygienic behavior seems to be more generalized so although they do mm. tackle the varroa it's other diseases as well that's not to say that the varroa sensitive um, bees wouldn't also tackle other um, diseases and pests but in particular the varroa and as i say it's there's this uh, fertility link and to they've it got a really well. cool test for it haven't they with the tin can yeah, well, you can either do the the prick test, which mm. isn't quite as good. I mean, any the thing about bees, whether they're fully hygienic or the run-of-the-mill supposed non-hygienic, if there's a damaged capping, they detect that and they'll look underneath it to see why that cap is damaged. And if it's because of disease, they'll pull out that larva and eat it or discard it. Um the thing about hygienic behaviour is that they, they don't have to detect damage to the cap. They're detecting disease under 
an intact cap. So mm. the thing about the pin prick test is that you go and you prick, say, a hundred cells uh, to damage the tops, and then you see how many of those um, the uh, cells the bees clear out in a given period of time, 24 hours or 48 hours, to determine how hygienic they are. And depending on the percentage of cells that they clear out, they're either non-hygienic, partially hygienic, Mm. or fully hygienic. Mm. And if they're fully hygienic, they're going to be pulling out 95% and upwards of those damaged cells. If they're non-hygienic, it's less than 50%. And if they're partially, you're probably sort of about 50% Mm. of those cells. But that isn't as good because those cells are damaged. Mm. um, They're more likely to 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 detect that. So the the idea that um, Professor Ratnex and I think a lot of the other experimenters use now is that they freeze an area with liquid nitrogen Mm. because it doesn't damage the wax cap. It kills the lava underneath it, um, but it doesn't damage the wax cap. And then they put the the frame back in the the hive and, again, monitor over 24, 48 hours how many cells they uncap and Mm. and pull out the dead larva. You see when you pull the frame out, there's a perfect... Circle. Yeah, I've yeah. seen the yeah. photos. Yeah. It's incredible because I think yeah. um, what you were saying, Paul, is what I saw where you get, a, you know, a biscuit cutter or a tin can or something and take a, a cir- cut a circle out of the brood frame, sealed brood, and then put it in the freezer. Is yeah, that you right? can do yeah. that. Yeah, because obviously li- they use liquid nitrogen. Yeah. And, of you know, the run-of-the-mill public can't get hold of no. nitrogen easily. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, an alternative oh is to cut out um, a known area or however many cells of that brood frame, pop it in the freezer for 24 hours mm. to kill the brood and then reinsert it mm. into the, the hole. Yeah. And see how I think one of the papers I've seen, them. they'd cut the bottom out of a soup can. So they just had a can. Yeah, can, exactly. And they yeah. held that over the, the frame and they yeah. poured liquid nitrogen over yeah. into the can. Oh, is that how they yeah. do it? Because, yeah, I, I did do it a long time ago. I think it might have been after the, one of your talks that I went to, probably the first one, which I think was about um, Sussex. Bee oh, plan. Yeah. Um, I did cut, cut the, the circle out, put it in the freezer. And I, I think I had partially hygienic bees, but I mean, I, I only did it for the interest yeah, of it, it, you know, yeah, see what I, I kind of don't really perceive there's any value kind of to my beekeeping at the moment in, you know, I mean, trying to maintain bee strains, but anyway, we'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> um, it's hard to do, isn't it? So, um, so with so sorry with varroa if mm. they're hygienic mm-hmm. it means they groom each other more yeah i mean there's lots of different behaviors to getting rid of of varroa mm. um obviously uh, because the varroa breed inside the cap cell mm-hmm. one of the behaviors is to um recognize that there's a varroa in that under that capping uncap the cell pull the larva out and although that larva will probably die what you're doing is interrupting the breeding cycle because i was thinking that must be how the population is affected yeah it doesn't it doesn't Mm. actually kill the varroa but what it does is it interrupts the breeding so you can reduce general mite numbers 
but also with hygienic behavior you get other um, aspects or attributes like increased grooming which knocks down the varroa uh, varroa sensitive hygiene they think there's um, the bees actually damage the varroa by biting them chewing their legs off damaging them and uh, they've done a lot of work where they've looked at the debris on the hive uh, floor mm. to see whether the varroa have actually been damaged by mm. the bees oh that's right yes. yeah and also lots of quite young mites yes that's another debris, yeah that right? that's another thing which mm. shows that if they've been uncapped when the mites have actually hatched out within the cell and then those larvae are pulled out, mm. yeah, those mites will then die. So they're seeing mites in, in all stages on the floor. Mm. Yeah. And and there's other things. That it's not just uncapping. Uh, it's capping and not letting that infested bee hatch out, which is one of the um, strategies of the Asian honeybee and why they've learn to live with the varroa they entomb the varroa and the larva so not only do they uncap and pull out but they cap and don't let the, the okay. varroa come and they do out. that by making the drone capping thicker so it can't yeah yeah its way out. yeah asian honeybees um the varroa only breeds in drone brood and the drone brood's got a uh, very thick capping to it and it's also got a pore in the middle which allows gaseous yeah, exchange that. yeah just like one of those moroccan cooking pots yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so if they if they detect a varroa that's probably the most middle class thing i've ever said in my entire life <laughs> it's all right you didn't put, you didn't say the word tagine oh, that's, <laughs> that, <laughs> that might have made me fall on the floor but anyway <laughs> yeah they can they can block that pore uh, mm. so that basically the be the the developing lava suffocates underneath it mm. okay and, and and they found that the the unca that for um, you'll be careful that there's hygienic bees and varroa sensitive bees and not yeah. the, the same. I, they say not no. And you found no. that the hygienic trait is passed through the queen. Yeah. Not the drone. Well, the thing is, the drones are clones of the queen. The the drones are clones of the queen's. Um, genetic material because yeah. they've only got one copy. Mm. I think mm. on your presentation, I thought you mm. said that when they when you the daughters carry that trait through even if they open mate. Oh yeah, Professor Ratnix has has yeah has suggested that open mating doesn't um, reduce the um, the trait. So it's a kind of the maternal. hygienic trait. Yeah, yeah. As long as you've got enough drones out there that have got it. Right. It's going to depend oh, on, yeah. I mean, it's you know, because it, it's a recessive gene, and also, right? and and because the drones carry one hundred percent of those queen copies. So as long as you've got good drone mating, and you've got the, lots of drones out there from hygienic queens, mm. the trait is going to be maintained. But I think, as you were saying earlier, it's a it's a tricky one because even though it's a genetic trait it involves a behavior is that right yes Which is the genetic trait is for the behavior right okay yeah. yeah so so they don't so it's a <laughs> it's a genetic behavior they don't it's not taught to each other sorry no no it's not taught it's mm. it's 
yeah something in their genes that makes mm. makes them have this increased behavior i mean all all bees are hygienic to a certain mm. extent they have to be it's just exaggerated but it's yeah increased apparently in in bees that have got this partic- particular genetic um so you guys have tried those queens haven't you yeah without too much success <laughs> <laughs> yeah is that just because they're they're not actually breeding them as a breeding program. I the thing is, it was it's done through our queen rearing project, right. and uh, the guy that was running it bought some of the. I th- they weren't the sort of uh, proven genetic queens, which are very expensive. I think they were a couple down. I think they may have even been the virgins that we then took and got mated, and um, we didn't have too much success. No. And I th- actually, I think we did have a mated one, a mated one, but it hadn't been proven that it was fully hygienic. Mm. And I think that turned out to be a drone layer. Oh, uh, it was replaced. So at the moment, no, we and we haven't done any experiments to actually prove whether it or not there's increased hygiene within mm. the, the colonies. So um, I suppose, like, I mean, just for s- someone like me, it's... It's worth knowing mm-hmm. whether I have hygienic traits in my colonies because obviously that's that's another thing you can select for. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I I think it depends on how far you want to go with your bee breeding and and always remembering that if for everything that you want to maintain and breed in, you might be losing something else. So, yes. you know people want to breed for a particular trait you might be losing another trait and what is better mm-hmm. so if you breed say you're breeding for hygiene but whilst you're doing that the 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 temperament gets worse and worse yeah. and worse are you a cheat yeah. you know it is it always yeah, a balance so true yeah i mean even with just selecting swarm cells mm you know using i know that i know what i'm selecting for honey production um so therefore temperament hasn't been no. <laughs> one of my i can vouch for that stop bad mouthing my bees paul <laughs> honestly i've got such a bad reputation they've got you, such a bad reputation your bees they're are lovely good, your bees are a good example of selection though because they make a lot of honey they're just a bit grumpy they don't like that. being handled the wrong way they don't like That's human all. beings <laughs> The thing is, I mean, grumpy bees, it doesn't matter if your bees are grumpy, if they're mm. in a place where they're not going to upset anyone. You know, if you've got acres of mm. field and no, and the public aren't going to go near them, and if your bees are a bit grumpy, the only one that's going to get um, upset is you, it doesn't mm. matter. But mm. obviously, if you've got your bees in your back garden, yeah, exactly. and you've got neighbours everywhere, and you don't want to set any problems going then temperament could be actually more important than hygiene but we, but we were saying this coming over that you're more ruthless in your selection than i am so i have got a Abs- yeah i get rid of queens that yeah so i've got don't a three, do what i want them to mm, do i've got a three-year-old queen that never has never done anything it sits in it, may, it maintains about one comb of, of boo it's just <laughs> it's just a the most pathetic queen yeah, in the yeah. world. Tell him, Liz. And Tracy's, Tracy's <laughs> saying to me, well, shall I come round and, and sort it out? Pinch her out. Yes. 
see <laughs> i am not the only the one who does that it does go against the grain though doesn't it with a lot of beekeepers but mm. actually i'm just marveling its persistence it's that old queen well, it's the oldest queen i've got i mean she's obviously got something going for her they've never she's superseded still going, her like, they've never years. done anything yeah. it's amazing yeah but see that is true there there is a there's a lack of willingness to i don't know i i suppose Murder. cull queens <laughs> we use the word cull um and also, again, as we were saying before, allowing sick colonies yeah. to to die off yeah. rather than trying to mollycoddle them and save them. Limp them through. Mm. Yeah. No, I think that's very true. Yeah. I think we've got to be, you know, you've got you've got to maintain good colonies. They need with, to be fit, don't they? Need yeah, be... but they need to be fit for purpose. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Because you're not helping all the other bee colonies if you're you know sort of tickling through sick colonies yeah definitely so i think so i'm going i'm going to do the cookie cutter tin can thing mm-hmm. really well be your Freeze bees them be See, careful they might tell that can off you before i do the get into it <laughs> they might do you know the thing is with temperament okay i would never breed from a colony that is bad tempered all the time yeah my bees are not bad tempered all the time they're bad tempered when you open them when there's not a nectar flow (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah you know you know what i'm saying your bees aren't that bad they are very prolific your bees yeah they i i love my bees i think they're great and i mean you can't keep them in nukes can you when you put them in a nuke you just physically can't keep them in the nuke. They grow out of the nukes. They overflow, yeah. They are good, but I mean, they're, they're healthy bees. They're strong, mm. healthy bees. Mm. And I think they're an all-round good breed. But I think, you know, Liz's advice about when you choose a trait, think of what you're excluding is really, really important. Because I do, I mean, I with the hygienic bee, when I first heard about it and everyone was talking about it and then you could buy the queens and it was like, oh, this was going to be the answer. And I don't know, it reminded me a bit of the Buckfast thing when that happened. And then we got to the second generation of those and and had some issues with temperament. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Oh, you did, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're lovely, prolific bees, I'm sure. I'm not... Bad First generation of buckfasts are amazing. They're really prolific, and you mm. open a hive and they just look at you. It's, de- it's definitely Phil likes the buckfast mm. bees. Yeah, very they're amazingly yeah. gentle. It's mm. unbelievably how. And then you say after F2 about, aggression. Yeah, after a few open matings, mm. they get a bit. But I think that's just a case of selection. Uh, uh, yeah, and I, I agree. I think you've got to you've got to choose your bees for what suits you. I mean, my my bees aren't particularly prolific. Um, I mean, I know lots of beekeepers that have got colonies that grow much more quickly than mm. mine do. But my bees have got low swarming. They're very gentle. Uh, mm. They don't produce masses of honey, but but you don't that's want that anyway. For me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. so they actually suit me, and because they're on a public allotment, you know, mm. the temperament for us is actually very important. Mm. Um, so they they suit me, um, but that's right. They may not necessarily be what every beekeeper mm. wants. If mm. you, yeah, if you, if you know, especially for honey production. Mm. Yeah. So I suppose. I, if I work out what colonies have what traits, I mean, it won't hugely change what I do, but it will inform maybe how I think about mm. monitoring them, treating them. 
it's yeah, an added piece I, I in the puzzle, it's knowledge. Isn't it? it's, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. E- even I think it's just knowing perhaps why your colonies haven't got as much varroa mm. or why they have got more varroa and mm. and trying to think about, well, it could be that they haven't got very much because they have got this hygienic trait mm. or if they've got masses because, oh, no, actually, I haven't been treating them. Um, you know, so that it, I think as much as we can learn about our individual colonies it just gives us tools to be able to hopefully manage them in a in the right way yeah absolutely so with the lassie team yeah because at the moment they they pause their program cause yeah because because they've got a school a br- outbreak in yeah the i mean I th- they, they've paused their selling they're yeah. they're obviously still doing all their um experimental work what's the next stage in there are they just constantly trying to breed a better bee now that's more more robust, I guess? I don't know, because they they their remit is to look at other things as well. They've been doing a lot of work on forage okay. and how far the bees go, and they go a lot further than everybody thought they do to find forage, especially at particular times of year. How far do they go now, then? Well, they're definitely five miles mm. or more. Yeah. And also when they were tracking the bees, because they put the little trackers on, the areas of forage where they thought that they would be going, they weren't. And I know they were doing, they've got some very um, large areas of rape Mm. seed um, around there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually where they predicted that they would go, they they actually weren't going. Um, Oh, that's because they so, did all the work on oxalic sublimation as well. Didn't yeah, they? yeah, and that's all part of their hygienic. Yeah. yeah. So they're, mm. they're the ones that tested sublimation against trickle. Yeah. I can't remember, it's like 97% effective with sublimation. And they... With hygienic, uh, that's the thing. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what they're suggesting is that if you've got hygienic bees, fully hygienic right. bees, you can you can then maintain them with one oxalic acid sublimation a year. year. So one treatment God, a year. Really? One tri- yeah. Wow. Trace excited. But that is I, I also <laughs> taking into account that when you do your sublimation that you take all the brood out. Yeah. Ah, so okay. what uh, what we don't probably do a lot of us is we don't look in the colony before we do the sublimation and dig out all the brood. No. But that that gets back to the thing we were talking mm. about before we started recording, which is beekeepers kind of pick the headline mm-hmm. of the paper Very and they make so. their own assumptions. So the the one this week about lithium chloride in syrup killing varroa, and you go on the forums and people are trying to source. <laughs> lithium chloride so they can spoon it into yeah, syrup yeah. whereas the sublimation thing are the same thing is everyone said i'm gonna it's a magic bullet i'm gonna sub, i'm not gonna treat i'm just gonna treat voxalic i'm gonna supplement and when you read the lasky paper that's exactly they take they scrape all the brood out of the comb yeah yeah then sublimate yeah but see i suppose the idea is that you do it in december i think it was recommended that december is the month to do december it. december is the month to do it because a it's it's well, They're hopefully cold, this, yeah. but also day length. You've got the shortest days then. Yeah. So that because she, um, the queen reacts to laying, it not only is temperature, but day length. Mm. So you've got the, the you know, shortest days, yeah. hopefully cold temperatures. So she'll be at her l- lowest lay. Um, so I guess potentially you wouldn't be, you might not be removing so much brood. 
if you if you went through and wanted to remove all sealed brood before you did the treatment i guess the thing i kind of don't really understand is why you would open a colony and open in all winter lasky open it all year round well i th- i think again one of these things is i i think the trouble is a lot of the books out there actually probably aren't fit for purpose because they're they're stuff it's information that's been passed down passed down passed down mm. and when you actually look at it you think well, actually, I, I, I'm telling, I've been told this, but, and I'm believing it, but is it actually mm. right? And actually, bees are much more robust than we give them credit for. I read, yes. I, read, yeah. I read an interview with um, Professor Ratnitz, and mm. he says we open them every week. Mm. All throughout the year. I mean, that, that doesn't mean to say that he's that doing hour long <laughs> yeah. inspections. But the th- yeah, well, that was, that was my question because I mean, I will open my bees in winter. I've always done the trickle. Mm. Um, and then I thought, oh, okay, so an advantage of sublimation, not having to open the colony. But then, of course, when I read about the full procedure, it, it did involve kind of going through mm. the frames. I guess the thing is there's not that much brood, is there? So it's no. not going to take no, long No, no, there to... shouldn't be right. Okay. Well, it's going to be. Cluster, pull the yeah, frame this out is the it. If you know where the cluster is, you're, yeah. But equally, if you if you don't pull the brood out, the idea of doing the two two sublimations yeah. mm. to to yeah, a bit like the apigard, so you I know, do to three get the, five days apart. Yeah, I mean, I you know again, the problem is, I don't know what experiments have been done to show whether that is no because people are kind of adapting yeah. what's been mm. shown. I think um, the other thing is with the winter treatments is you can't like like when you do the sublimation you get a massive mite drop. I mean it's dr- really dramatic, but you're not. That's not a really good indication of how many mites are actually still in there. So you could do the three treatments a week apart, mm. but because you can't actually get in there and do a proper, you know, do an alcohol wash or a sugar roll, or, yeah, you don't actually know until the following spring. So. Yeah, you just got to. I just know if I do three, if I do three treatments spaced about a week apart, I get a mite drop on every treatment, and the fourth treatment, not so much. So the drop can go up and down as yeah. well. I and mean, this is what the, with the new Apivar that's now licensed in the UK. That mm. is the Amatraz. Yeah. Uh, mm. I was saying it doesn't actually kill the Varroa. What it does is it paralyzes it, and they drop off, and then they starve on the floor. Okay. But in their literature, it says you won't necessarily see a big drop when you first put the application on. It's a slow-release um, uh, insecticide. And so you will get, you know, you it will go up and down, mm. uh, the drop. So you won't necessarily see masses suddenly dropping and mm. then tailing off because of the way that it works mm. and probably as a bit like oxalic acid i imagine you get an initial large drop because the bees are all agitated and moving and you know the the mites are knocked off and then it may slow down but you might then get another hit as more grooming's done or so is that why amatrez because there's no dramatic resistance i can't remember what's the other one the other there's flumethrin and the other one i can't remember resistance depends on um what 
what the um, chemical is working on within yeah. the bee. So if it works on, say, a lot of the pesticides work on very specific neural pathways, mm. which means that the varroa can easily find a resistance because it's it's only got mm. to, to work so on one... So has got a much broader mode of action. It's much broader. Oh, okay. But not as broad as something like perhaps thymol. So each different Mm. application uh, or chemical has a slightly different way that it reacts on the varroa, which is why your integrated pest management is so important. Mm. If you only ever use one um, chemical, the varroa are more likely to build up a resistance. And depending on which chemical you use, they're going to build it up more quickly. I was thinking about. That's the one. Yeah, that, abis- that and Beverol. Yeah, mm. that they built a resistance. Yeah. That's because people weren't reading the packet. The pyrethroids. Though, yeah. They, and, and because they work on very specific neural mm. pathways mm. within the varroa, they can easily find ways of bypassing it. But something like um, oxalic acid and thymol are more generalised mm. and they they can't necessarily find ways to build resistance against those. I think that's so important, actually, to remember that you've got to use a variety of varroicides alongside all the biotechnical stuff that you do. Um, Yeah, it's very important. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just, it's interesting. I think, you know, when you're kind of, when you're planning the year as, you know, we are at the moment Mm -hmm. with our bees, you know, you've got to kind of think of what I used last year yeah the pyrethroids what is it once every two three years or probably more than that more than that right once every seven i'd say oh is it seven god okay well that's fine i haven't done it but i should (laughs) know that and i did i didn't yeah i mean apivar if you if you read all the literature they they i think they've been using it for sort of 20 years and haven't found resistance Mm. um because how does apivar work then that's the Amitraz. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's because it's a very broad... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or broader. Not, um, like, not got anything against it, but I'm going to try and avoid it. Yeah, I mean, I, I use the sugar dusting. I think the sugar dusting's useful. Tracy does yeah. that, not Yeah, yeah I think because, it's you know, as part of your other things, because it does it does cause the varroa to drop mm. off. So... And definitely get some of them yeah, out. You just disturb it along going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very, it's very easy and it's very cheap. Mm-hmm. And um, when I'm doing it at the field, people walk by and find it fascinating. <laughs> so I feel like I'm putting on a show. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely, lovely watching the little white bees <laughs> flying out of it the is, hive. It is lovely. They look it. really cute. Yeah. They look really cute. Well, your bees. Don't say anything. Okay. <laughs> But then another thing I was saying, I, I said there's this new um, theory out, this uh, Samuel Ramsey, who's the PhD student from Maryland, who did the three-minute, he won a prize for his three-minute YouTube um, video on, um, he looked at where the mite was feeding on the bee. Oh, yeah, on the Because body, yeah. it's always been um, said that the, the mites feed on the hemolymph or the bee's blood. And the experiments that he's done, he has said that he's proven that actually they feed on the fat body of the bee. Mm. So they go under mm. the abdomen or uh, and pierce through to the fat body and feed from there. So for winter bees. Exactly. And that's why. Issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and it might be that, 
armed with this new information they can they can look at different treatments mm. again because um. of course what happens is you you fit you treat them after the honey's off as people say and then um by mid-december by the solstice the varroa has built right back up again yeah. And especially with the warm winters that we're getting now as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not even as though we have, um, you know, particularly cold cold weather where, where the brood virtually my, my disappears. Because I've got them in poly yeah. nukes with the, the, the floor underneath. Yeah. I put them on old roofs. I, I know they've not stopped brood rearing because mm. you've got brood cappings under the hive. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously they're more for thermally... Mm. They're hotter, aren't they? The mm. hot probably is just warmer. Mm. So, Liz, would you? I remember when I first started beekeeping, and everyone was talking about oxalic acid treatments in December. And some people say you should always do it; it should be part of your, you know, management. Other people were saying, "Oh, you don't want to do it unless you absolutely have to." Mm. Like, what would you say? Well, now for the last, I think this is the third, second, or third year. I have only done oxalic acid sublimation and um, I've been doing the sugar dusting. Um, and that's that's my two my varroa treatments and running them on a mesh floor always. Okay, so you don't treat God, after the honey good. flow then? No. No. I, uh, for the first, I mean, I, I used to use Apigard, but mm. I, I haven't for the last couple of years. I haven't used it. Wow. We've just done the oxalic acid sublimation. Have you noticed any difference? Uh, well, I haven't touched wood. I haven't lost a colony. Um, that's the measure, isn't that's it? That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, so that's that's one good thing. Um, I don't know, really. Mm. No, it's, um, yeah, it's just an interesting one. I think it's when I first started beekeeping, sublimation wasn't so No, 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 no when used. I first started beekeeping, it was Apigard. Yeah. Mesh floors. Yeah. Yeah. It was happy guard, wasn't it? it was yeah. Like yeah. Trying to work out to get the econ. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll hold my hands up. I'm very uh, late to the sublimation party um, because this is the first year I've actually done it. Mm. I've always just done a trickle because it's... It's easy. It's easy. Yeah. It is easy, yeah. 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 And cheap. Mm. Yeah. Cheap is good. Cheaper chips. Yeah. And I, and I still think if... If you haven't got the sublimator, it's better to do something than mm. not. So trickle if you haven't got the sublimator. Yeah. You know, yeah. the experiments they've done, they haven't showed that it doesn't do anything at all to trickle. It's mm. just sublimation is seems to be the the, the mm. best option. Mm. But but yeah, do something mm. rather than nothing, I think, is is probably the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I was just thinking when you were saying about your um, your bees there and how you manage the varroa, mm. about the kind of the way that you have your hives configured. Oh, yeah, because yeah. yeah, I do the rose, well, the you rose got, hive method. You got me into, uh, you did your talk about one box beekeeping mm. and foundationless. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I've been doing foundationless since that talk. Oh, have you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it works well. Yeah, Mostly. I love it. Yeah. No, it works. Yeah. I've had, because I think your original, initial fear is I'm just going to spend my life dealing with wild comb. And honestly, no, I've got a handful. No, no, I very rarely no, it happens. No. Occasionally yeah. I'll get them, but I just take those frames out yeah. now. Yeah. I don't even bother trying to fit. Yeah. I just take them out. 
And um, the thing I didn't realize was the amount of energy. Because mm. I remember Tracy came to my apiary. Tracy, you know, makes lots and lots of honey. And I, I said, no honey. And she said, well. Because <laughs> they're still, making still wax. That, yeah, <laughs> still that wax. That's your yeah. honey. It's like, oh, okay. And that's another reason why mine don't produce masses mm. of honey, because they build all their own wax. And the yeah. other thing I found is mm. they swarm less. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because they're just too yeah, busy. busy. Yeah. yeah, I've got them working like mm. like donkeys, get yeah. working. So I did that. And then, but you keep all your hives on uh, supers, don't you? Yeah. So what's the what's the rose hive? Well, the rose hive was this chap, uh, Mister Rowe. I can't remember. He's a he's a an Irish chap, and he he it's the one one size box beekeeping, and basically his box is it's um, smaller than a national brood, but it's bigger than a super, so yeah. it sits between the two, whereas. Uh, I couldn't be bothered to go out and buy new boxes. The whole idea was going to one size boxes for me was that I had loads of supers, but fewer brood boxes. Mm. So I got to the point where I thought, well, I either go and invest in a load of more brood boxes, which are going to be much heavier, or I ditch the brood boxes and just use supers. So I use supers and they're lighter. Yeah. And I had a lot of them. Yeah. That's, that's, my, that's why I went yeah. to, to using that. Do you use a queen excluder as well, or you just no. let them go up and up? No, they just go up and up. They love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So yeah. What's your tallest hive been then? I've had I've had about eight or nine supers. Yeah. Oh, that's a good good size. Yeah, it's a good size. Mm. Um, but again, they probably don't get as big as a um, another uh, you know uh, if i was giving them foundation because yeah. they have to build all that own wax as well so they're probably slower to expand it does stop them swarming yeah i mean i i, I had a really prolific queen well i've got a really prolific queen so prolific in in august she's on two brood boxes in the bottom box is 11 frames of brood wow so super, yeah yeah never thought about swarming yeah i'm pretty sure if i put her on foundation They'd fill that box up really quickly and she'd swarm. Mm. It's just that she's had another box up there, completely empty, just with foundationless frames. And they've just been, and they love building it as well. Oh, like, yeah. All yeah. those nurse Absolutely. bees just love That's what bees yeah. do, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Mm. So, all the foundation we buy and put in our hives. You buy. That I buy, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's got stuff in it that I might not want in my, mm. my hives. I know. I can't quite bring myself to. Well, I put um, let them do it. So I've tried different versions. I, I tried little starter strips. Oh yeah. Uh, but what I found was that they bend and fall out. Yeah. So then I then I did uh, tongue depressors. Oh yes. Yeah. So I glue those on the top. Yeah, so just to give them that start. Did you say tongue depressors? Yeah. <laughs> lolly sticks. Lolly Gosh, sticks. you must buy some interesting <laughs> stuff sticks. on there. <laughs> I think Amazon the think I'm running some sort of meth house. I <laughs> do. So, um, and what I love about that is that when you want to, you take the frame, we think, well, that's an old frame. You put it in the solar wax melter. It waxes, it takes all the wax off. You lift it out and you put it back in. There's nothing to do. It's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it sterilizes the frames. But you don't have to yeah. re-wax it. You don't have to do no. You just take it out and put it back in the hive. And as long as they've got some wax around it, they'll yeah. just... Yeah. And off they go. So is it true that cell sizes are different 
between nat- between natural comb and foundation templates. Yes, I don't think it doesn't matter. No. They've done they've actually done studies now. Mm. It's, it's, I mean, the, the argument was how are they different? Sorry, are they they're smaller by about a third of a millimeter in foundation? It, well, depending on the size of the bit. Yeah. So the 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 mm. the, the I guess I don't know. It's an urban myth is that foundations printed the cell on the foundation is larger and therefore you get a larger bee growing in it where if you had i don't know we still got, we got well bees are indigenous to the iron king so i'm going to assume we've got wild bees if you've got wild bees they're smaller they're just smaller therefore they make because bees build the cell as big as the bee the cells are smaller so the argument goes that smaller cells mean they're they're more resistant to things like varroa but it kind of falls down because because if you look at the cell size of Apis sarani, they're they're, they're, little. they're very small, and their um, drone cell is still smaller than small cell. <laughs> so even the even with small bees, the, those those cells are still. I bigger. think it's proportion, isn't it? They yeah. what they were saying was that if you have a smaller bee. Mm. There's not enough, there's not so much room in there for the varroa to move yeah. around. And also a smaller bee may take less time to develop. So there's not as much time for the varroa to complete its breeding cycle, which is true in Apis serrana. They have a shorter yeah. uh, developmental time, but it's still down to proportion. If you've got a small bee in a small cell, they're proportionally right, so there's still the same amount of room around yeah. it for the varroa to move. Mm. What they're getting confused about is a big bee squashed into a small right. cell where it fills the cell mm. so completely that the varroa can't move around. Mm. So I don't think that happens. No, they did. Mm. A, there's a study. Yeah. There's actually a study where they did comparative tests, and there's no difference yeah. at all. Mm. You know, I, I think the problem is people. People want to find um, answers, which is great, but also people want to to say that there's natural beekeeping and there's unnatural beekeeping and that beekeepers like us are not keeping bees naturally. Mm. But the problem is any anything where you put a bee in a, a box. colony in Absolutely. a box, you are not keeping them as a natural colony and you know all this business about top bar beekeeping is the is a natural way to keep bees it's not there's no natural way to keep bees all you can do is be a balanced beekeeper and hopefully look at the the needs of the bee above your needs yeah if that's what you want to do yeah Um, and so when i do my rose hive method I'm trying to balance the, my needs against their needs. And so I can give them things like, well, you can build your own comb because that's what bees like doing. And you can build your nest where you want to. I'm not yeah. going to give you a queen excluder. But actually, I do want you to have frames and I do want to have stackable boxes because for me, it's much easier. Yeah. And it's kind of finding that balance, I think. Well, if you kept them in a barrel that you can open, why would you keep them? Yeah. You might as well just go and do, go and volunteer for an yeah. ecology charity and look after one of the local parks or woods. 
And we have got a top bar hive on the allotment mm. that we're trialling. And actually, it's flipping hard work. And I think we do more damage mm. opening that top bar hive than we do. Mm. That's interesting. So why do you think it's Because I keep looking at those because it's a gadget and I'm, I have a small gadget addiction. <laughs> well, I, I, the beekeeper that I um, uh, we work together with, I mean, she she's sort of thinking about... Well, stackable boxes get heavy, they get tall, you're lifting. Mm. The top bar hive, logically, mm. is a good way of beekeeping because it's all on one level um, and you haven't got heavy weights. But actually, it's not easy because you're not at the hive. Um, you, you're at an angle when you pick the frames up. You're not standing in front of mm. them. Uh, so you're twisting and unfortunately because they're building these lovely free combs mm. they do stick them to the sides of the the hive oh, okay so you have to of chop the them off box. every time yeah, you so open you the box and and they do meld together uh. so you're constantly pulling and they when you do try and take out the top bar with the comb on they sway like anything and Ooh. can peel off mm. um well you talked me out of that well done but but having said that, you've got to try these things. Because well, um, there's a Darlington hive, isn't there? Which is Dartington. A, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Which is a yeah. framed hive, but it's long. Long. Yeah, that's what Kirsty's got. Has she got one of those? Has she? Yeah. But or the she, trouble is, you try picking up a heavy frame, twisting from the side. Yeah. That's that's the problem. It's like the bee house. You know those oh, plastic that, yeah. things. Yes. They're horrible. Yeah. Because. <laughs> They use the great big um, deep, deep nationals. Oh, the 12 by 14. 12 by whatever those are with the short lugs. They seem to go on forever. Mm. And you're standing at the side and twisting mm. to pull out this great big frame because you're not standing at the right place. You, you have really to stand at the side, not behind it. Yeah. You, you can't do that and do a calm, well-ordered inspection, no. I don't think. No. And the bees end up getting very unhappy because I use fourteen by twelve frames, and I I know that you know if you've if you've moved a hive and you've got your warm way cold way wrong, mm -hmm. then you end up in a you know ridiculous position twisting yeah. it around as you yeah. say. Um, yeah, I I I have seen those top bar ones, and I saw co like lots of comb. They look cool. Just getting destroyed. Yeah, yeah no, they're, I didn't they're realize they the inspection. Yeah, they can. Because when yeah. you see them, everyone's holding them up and they're perfectly formed sort yeah. of triangles. Mm. But Maybe we've just got particularly sticky bees. naughty bees. That mm. uh, Although, I mean, you can get frames for top bar hives now. Oh, so well. you could. Oh, okay. So they're just so. the shape <laughs> of the top bar hive. Yeah. But they're still in a frame. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, again, that's being a balanced beekeeper. You're yeah. I'd probably be honest, rectangular frames are just, just easy. The thing is about bees as well is I don't know why everybody thinks bees want to go... Horizontal. Um, horizontal. Bees <laughs> like going vertically, and yeah. that's why I've never understood this natural beekeeping either of the top bar hive. What, why they, they say that? Yeah. yeah. That's where that came from. Their whole... They're a bit weird because they call them the Kenyan hide, even though they were invented in Canada, which was quite interesting. <laughs> the thing is, the ones that... The, the, the Kenyan hives yeah. that the, they use there, 
it's a different way of beekeeping because it's um, they they uh, rely on swarming in and out. Mm. They don't. They yeah. don't. The log hives. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're adapted because the colonies they want them to swarm. Whereas here, we don't want them to. They 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 swarm a lot mm. over in, in Africa, don't they? Because that's the way they mm. sort of migrate onto areas mm. where there's more food and. Yeah. It's just the way they are. So I think probably top bars and log hives there suit yeah. the bees. Well, I think that the, the concept of the top bar hive was that it's cheap to manufacture. It doesn't require yes. specially yeah. frames. Yeah. And that yeah. makes sense. And I think yeah. when you see someone who knows, who quite practice with those top bars, they can probably maintain them and mm. operate them quite well. Yeah. I can't. No. <laughs> no. no, it's not easy. I was talking to... Um, Joyce, our secretary mm. of Croydon Beekeepers, I think it was Joyce, and she was saying that someone had designed a skep that you would keep bees in all year round and was keeping bees all the time in this skep, which I've never seen. I've seen that, skepists. I've yeah. never seen that before. It's really cool, although I wouldn't do it myself. Well, there's that lovely guy. Oh, he came and he did the uh, skep making course for us. Oh, yes, that's name. right. Um, he keeps them in skeps all the year round. Oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, okay. I can't remember his name. They put them on Is that the, the man who does, who does them at the National Honey Show? I, I did his course. He's got lovely like curly hair. Yes, or, yeah, yeah, him. yeah. Yeah, he came and did a, he came to Epsom Beekeepers and we had a fantastic day where he mm. and his wife and baby came and uh, they showed us how to make skeps and we all started our skeps. I mean, I never finished. Did you, I was going I was going to ask you. I I've started too. Because <laughs> yeah. when I saw they stack, they could stack them. Yeah, they mm. had like a ring. Yeah, and you they have extensions. Yeah, and then they use like it looks like a cheese cutter, mm. and they cut through it, and that pulls the. So then they take layers of comb off the bottom. Okay, because in I mean uh-huh. when you know we we in here in England used to keep bees in skeps. Mm. They had the bee bowls that the skeps yeah. sat in, the the niches in Oh, walls. yes, I've seen those at abbeys. Yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. So that protected yeah. them for all year round. Oh, of course, yeah. Beekeeping. Or you can put these little straw hats <laughs> or sort of on on top of the skep mm. to, to protect like them as well. Yeah, yeah like a roof. Because yeah. traditionally, they used to, mm. just to kill, they killed all the bees in the mm. skeps and they didn't scoop them out. Mm. Do you know, someone asked me the other day, what do I do with my bees over winter? Do I kill them? <laughs> no. Yeah. I was really shocked. Well, yeah. I you, was like, this isn't the Middle Ages. You have, you have, you trouble, you have trouble with uh, discussing bees with the general public. You? I do. I, I, const- I get targeted. Yes, I do get targeted. By radical vegans. Yes, I do, oh, really? actually. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I like I've had your, more than my I like your dog <laughs> story. Oh, let's, yeah. let's talk about your dog story because that's brilliant. I can't even remember. Oh, what's your my, dog's name? My my dog is called Honey. Oh, lovely. Um, because that's what pays for her. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and I bet she's a honey colour. She, she actually she yeah. is, yeah. And I was walking her one day, and someone said, "Oh, what's your dog's name?" And I said, "Honey, it's because you know I'm a beekeeper," and I just got this tirade. <laughs> Of, yeah, like, oh, no. I know. And, I mean, 
Paul's laughing because (laughs) it happens to me so regularly and where I have my bees in summer, people often will come and confront me. Really? Yes, like... um, Radical vegan. So you're being cruel? That I'm being cruel by smoking them was one. Um, I don't smoke my bees. I puff some smoke around, you know, Um, by taking honey from them. Um, just everything about, yeah. I'm always worried to come around your house that there's going to be like a vegan protest outside. <laughs> oh, no. It's, I don't know, it's just, I think the thing that upsets me is that there's, there seems to be this assumption that I don't care about yeah. my bees. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm... If, I just like the fact it's happened to you more than once. That's why I can't It's happened over. to me several times now. It, seriously, <laughs> it has. I've never had, I mm. haven't had that yet. Mm. <laughs> but I think that that's... I mean, that's a sad thing about, I mean, farmers. I think a lot of people think that farmers don't care for their no. absolute stock yeah. either. No, I, keep my, I keep my bees on an organic beef farm. And I'm telling you, those cows and those sheepy kits have a fantastic, they yeah. live on a field, they live outside. They, they're not kept in a barn, you know. Over, mm. And he gets all that. The crawl, he goes, well, stop eating meat then. <laughs> uh, yeah and that's another thing people want sanitized they want the meat mm. but we want to pretend it doesn't really come from furry animals yeah. well mm. sorry it does well, it's funny because yeah. uh, when I, i'd been there for a couple of couple of seasons and uh, i was watching him one day and he was walking around he looked like he was stroking the back of all the lambs so i'm thinking oh you know he's individually petting <laughs> so i'm talking to him and, he, and he, sometimes he just looks at me like i'm a moron frankly <laughs> i said why are you stroking their backs? He goes, I'm not stroking their backs. He goes, I'm trying to work out how much fat they've got. <laughs> and it still didn't dawn how on me. Yeah, it still didn't dawn on me. And, and I said, oh, why are you doing that? He said, well, because when they get too fat, I can't kill them. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I still think farmers mm. care about that. You know, I still think it's yeah. wrong that all, you know, that just because you're raising an animal to kill them doesn't mean mm. so you don't care I mean, he, for them while you've got them it's he he, he exactly. goes through his field and there's certain plants they can't eat mm. and he walks around that field and he takes them out with a hand troll right he digs them out of the ground yeah. so they won't eat them yeah. r- rather than spraying it with yeah. some sort of yeah weed no color. there are some mm, you know he just happens to put them in a truck at the end of the year and off they go they come back in a box well but if that's box. your product yeah you know, it's really nice product. and as long as you're I know green, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, as long as you're doing the best for that product, mm. yeah, absolutely. Mm. I, do, I just can't believe how often you've had vegans tell you. you know, it is just- funny, actually, isn't it? But I think it's because of where my bees are. A oh, lot right. of people go by, and it's a hippie magnet, isn't it? No, yeah, well, it's a beautiful place, it's beautiful, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, so I, I will try this year to be. To not cry <laughs> and say, but I love them. I really love yeah. them. Um, yeah. Great. So I think, Liz, thank you for your time. That's it's okay. Great. It's been very nice. Have to do it again. That was a nice little chat. <laughs> yeah, it? no, it's good. I'm going to go and edit now. This is actually yeah. the comfiest place we've ever normally do it around it a table. Well, I was going to suggest the table, and then I thought, oh, I might be a bit. No, this is log this fire. Is the log fire. I think the sound might fade in and out, but I sort that out. I think oh, I did sorry. Yeah. You'll, right. I'm sure you'll manage it. That's not yeah. a problem. We can all manage that. Mm. Well, thank you. Goodbye. That's all right. It's been lovely. And cheerio, everyone.
Anyway. So we forgot to say goodbye. We did. We did. I think but it's never too late. Because we're too comfortable lying on the... Well, not lying. It's, it's right. well, she Sit, had... Sitting on Lizzie's sofa with a fire. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it was the fire. It was the fire what did it. So we're going to say um, goodbye now. Yes. So follow us on Twitter at thebeehivejive.com. Uh, sorry, at thebeehivejive. Uh, you can find our website at thebeehivejive.com. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>